1: Welcome to episode 21 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's episode focuses on Dustin and his dad, Jason. Dustin was six years old when he was initially diagnosed with Wilms' tumor, a cancer that occurs in the kidneys. Although he was diagnosed at a young age and had a relatively poor prognosis, he went on to live until he was 23 years old. During those years, he accomplished so much. It is simply amazing. He and his friends in high school founded an organization called DC Strong, which is still going on today. Initially, I wondered if DC had something to do with Washington, DC, but no. Those are Dustin's initials, and they also use DC in their slogan of Dominate Cancer so they help uh, pediatric patients now all over the country in granting them wishes and helping them through this very difficult time the other reason that makes this episode special is dustin's dad's occupation jason is a public safety officer and he will go into that a little bit more on the episode as well but This makes his grief process just a little bit different than the average parent, perhaps. I know it made it more emotional for me because he tells stories of dealing with families who went through really exactly what I did with the death of Andy. So it is a pretty emotional interview for me as well. So I know you will learn a lot from Jason and a lot from hearing this amazing story. Okay, Jason, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I want to um, have you start out by just talking to me a little bit about your son, Dustin. I see you brought some pictures. That's nice to be able to look at.
2: Well, you at least get a, a yeah.
1: face with a name and yeah. the
2: story. And uh, Dustin uh, was born uh, September eleventh, nineteen ninety four. Um, Dustin passed away October eleventh of twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dash between uh, those two dates, uh, I don't know if I would have enough time to put how great my son was in mm-hmm. uh, this world. Um, and the impact that he still has today even after uh that dash in those states um dustin uh, was my only son and uh, when he was born obviously it was the light of my life being that i finally had a son being the young man i was at uh, 23 Mm -hmm. uh, we had children early and uh, he brought a completeness uh, to uh, the life of his mother and i at that time and then we later would have two daughters that followed Dustin. Um, Dustin inspired so many people uh, with that dash I spoke with, and it was because of the battle that he had Mm -hmm. um, at the age of six when he was diagnosed with advanced stages of Wilms tumor cancer. Okay. And... uh, He was diagnosed uh, the first time, uh, December 26th of 2000. uh, Yes, the day after Christmas. And within 24 hours, uh, we were pretty much told that uh, being bilateral Wilms tumor cancer in such advanced stages, that he would probably have six months at the most.
0: Wow.
2: And um, when the percentages were explained to me uh, of Dustin's, Diagnosis back then, and as hard as it was for me to hear the words, the percentage, you know, of a Wilms tumor cancer, I think it's 400 cases per year
0: mm-hmm.
2: in this country. And then to be diagnosed, what, stage four or five, I didn't even know there was such a thing uh, as a five, but when you have it in both kidneys, both lungs, around the heart, and throughout that, uh, the percentages are so rare for someone to make it. But Wilms yeah. tumor cancer, uh, the overall success cure rate uh, is pretty high.
1: Yeah, if, I've I've taken care of kids with Wilms Tumor, and, right. and they had been, I mean, I think they recovered. It's one of those things, I just followed them for a few years in my training, but...
2: I longed uh, for those percentages to be on their side, but they never were for Dustin. And uh, he um, did beat it the first time. Yeah, he sure uh, did. And... Uh, that was Mm -hmm. a miracle in itself. And then, um, what was so hard to uh, take later on was that he was in remission for five years. Yeah. And everybody that's in the the cancer world or, uh, knows that that five-year mark always seems to be success in the cure Mm -hmm, for them. mm -hmm. And, uh, his first relapse was diagnosed on his five-year visit. Wow. So it was very hard and.
1: You're totally right about that, because my, when my parents were diagnosed with cancer, we were always counting down to the five-year. If yeah. we would we make it to five years, and my mother, of course, did not. But my dad did, and it is a celebration when you hit that point. So that must have been a hard day for you, because you thought it was probably a day of celebration. Uh,
2: it was a day of a lot of tears yeah. and a lot of uh, anguish that how could we uh, beat it and be successful for five years without cancer for it to return. Mm-hmm. And uh, by then, you know, he was uh, almost 12, uh, and we went back into treatment again. And we would have uh, three more battles mm-hmm. of cancer. And one of those battles is when uh, 2006 and seven, we decided to go into a stem cell rescue. uh yeah at uh, the University of Michigan uh, C.S. Mott's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And that story itself uh, was documented through a blog, and even a writer uh, chose to um, at least try to write a book about the story. But Dustin spent almost a year over there, and uh, obviously you being a physician. The graft-versus-host disease... um, and all the issues we had from the stem cell transplant. Dustin spent almost six months on the ventilator and the oscillator. Wow. And uh, during that period, we were uh, asked to make a decision on removing him from life support. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we have a Just real...
1: to explain a little bit to the audience so, you know, most people have heard of a ventilator, but when you go to an oscillator, that is is, your much more significant issue. So it's like you, it, it's almost like a vibration. So they fill up the lungs with air and they move it in and out very, very quickly to try to be able to get as much oxygen in as possible because a regular ventilator just doesn't work at that point. And, and again, so graft versus host disease is when you get your transplant, you get a transplant of cells that you hope can, start your own immune system to be able to work normally and fight off cancer, fight off infections, fight off other things. But what can happen is that instead those cells that you get can fight your own body. So they are, you know, you are kind of in a battle with yourself, those new cells. So just to kind of explain some of that.
2: We were in excess of 500 platelet transfusions. Yeah. Um, and, um, as I was saying that, uh, doctors at University of Michigan asked us if we, uh, were at the point where we felt it was enough then to remove Dustin from life support. One of the hardest decisions I ever made in my life at that time Mm -hmm. in this fight. Mm -hmm. And, um, we have a real strong faith and we went to prayer on it. And I said, if one person disagrees, um, we're not going to do it, and we make this decision as a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, we chose to continue the fight. Destin eventually uh, was able to recover, and he had to learn to talk, walk, eat again, breathe yeah. again, all on his own. And months later, he would walk back on that floor and tap the doctors on the shoulder. Oh, wow. So he was then actually. Uh, you know, no one, uh, they, they just could not believe how much a miracle he was to continue to beat this and then to achieve remission again uh, to, after going through all that. Um, we eventually would have a period in uh, not making that decision to remove him from life support. So much uh, more of that dash in between those dates. occurred, yeah, yeah. And he went on to do so much uh, more and great things uh, and... The D.C. Strong organization that was founded, you know, uh, by his friends and himself has gone on to help and uh, bless so many other kids battling cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, Dustin went on to uh, finish high school to be in band. uh, So full life, he was uh, just an unbelievably uh, talented drummer, percussionist. And he was in a Christian rock band uh, that played big venues played all over you know did battle the bands wow and, and he went on to uh date uh you know and uh during the end he was even engaged uh to a young lady uh bless her heart that always is going to have a special place at least in our heart yeah and um eventually the cancer returned and um the last two years of dustin's life were very hard um Because he had gone on to college, he had gone on to getting his own apartment, he Uh had a job. And I can remember moving him into his apartment, and he said, Dad, I just, you know, with my health issues, I just feel that I need to do this. I need to try to live on my own. Right. And uh, as worried as we were, you know, uh, I'm just a phone call away in uh, 15, 20 minutes. We went ahead and helped him move. And I think the hardest part was seeing his, uh, disappointment when I had to move him back in with his mother because his health started to fail so bad. Yeah. And he knew that he could no longer, uh, take care of the needs that he needed, uh, living on his own. And we moved him back into his mother's house and we, uh, it was a you know joint effort because, um. His mother and I are no longer together and we both remarried and uh everybody had to work together to take care of Dustin and uh his last uh few weeks uh was me taking him back and forth to University of Michigan for his health care needs and Which is not
1: a quick drive for you. <laughs> no either.
2: Uh I've put so many miles into driving I ninety four to <laughs> Ann Arbor that I put it this way is that when I hit Jackson, Michigan, I usually start to get depressed because the drive over there never seemed to be uh filled with great news, yeah, and I made that trip so many times and so much uh weather conditions um that you know and it's nothing against the town of Ann Arbor because it's a good town it's just uh I associate a lot of uh hard memories uh sure I even had you know, everything from a rental house over there to the Ronald McDonald house. I just spent so much time going back and forth uh, to Ann Arbor for Dustin's care. And it is, it's some of the best experts in uh, pediatric cancer and uh, on oncology, um, mm-hmm. uh, in this, uh, area in the Midwest, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, the state of Michigan itself has a lot of, uh, great, uh, doctors and the cancer uh treatment area the oncology. Mm-hmm. So that was a blessing because even though it was, you know, a 130 mile trip for us, sometimes, you know, four or five times a week, I I would run into families that it was hundreds and hundreds of miles, yeah. if not thousands. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but uh Dustin's uh, health deteriorated and the cancer returned and and it became very aggressive and To watch him uh, be so full of life, to watch what painkillers, as well as the other medicines, uh, did to him—it's you know—in cancer, it's always the side effects of everything. And um, I had to uh, take him to uh, University of Michigan Health Systems for a visit, and the only person I could get to help me go over there at the time was my father, and I felt so bad for him, uh, for him to see. Uh, his grandson in that state because that visit uh, was the last time we would ever go uh, to University of Michigan Health Systems because that visit, uh, the doctor um, asked me to come out in the hallway, and I left my dad in the room with Dustin. And the doctor says, do you want me to tell him or do you want to tell him? I said, tell him what? That he has about two weeks to live. and to uh, see my father, uh, the reaction when he had to hear that his grandson he only had a few weeks was very hard. And uh, the doctor said, we need to get him into intensive care right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I said, uh, I want to do whatever I can to bring him back to Kalamazoo, Michigan, mm-hmm. because I don't want him to pass in Ann Arbor. I want him to be surrounded. By by his his. sisters, his family, his mom, and uh, his support group. And I had to stop uh, along the highway, and something that day told me to bring a couple oxygen tanks. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my background um, in EMS, as well as uh, my wife, who's a trauma ER nurse, thank God we always, and over the years we had so much health supplies, uh, home health care. And I would always plan for the crisis and, uh, to watch him, uh, choke, uh, on blood and run out of oxygen, not breathing and look on my father's face when we're on the side of the highway and I'm changing over tanks and trying to clear his airway yeah. to get him back to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, uh we got him back into Bronson hospital in Kalamazoo and Dustin, uh, had some good days and. Up to October 7th, uh, desired to keep on fighting. Yeah. He even said that, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, the last picture I have of him was him actually sitting up on October 7th and telling me, you know, today's a great day, Dad. Because, you know, he was like, you know, I'm going to keep trying. And um, it was shortly after that where he no longer was awake and... Uh, one of the hardest decisions, again, that I could make was making that decision to seek out hospice, hospital, mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, no parent uh, plans on having to do that for their child, yeah. and uh, Dustin's mother and her family's great, and uh, they really desired to have Dustin uh, come back home uh, to pass in the house, uh, either at his grandmother's or get to his mom's, and... Uh, the only thing I could say is one uh the care needs that he needs is uh needs to be done in a medical controlled facility mm-hmm. all right with the pain management and medicines, and I said it's always going to be that room, that couch, yeah, that your son or your grandson passed away mm-hmm. and and we uh, you know it really took a you know and i don't i don't know how anybody could be a pediatric oncologist i just don't
1: uh, well I, you know so many kids get better i know i mean that's the thing I know. um i've spoken with pediatric oncologists and they say i could never do adult oncology because so many of my patients get better yep. and so many fewer of their patients do so that is um, the but it but it, no doubt it's hard it's, it, it's
2: you know and people can say that about my profession too uh there's good days and bad days but it took that oncologist uh pulling up dustin's uh x-rays and scans and gathering the family around to look at it and uh you could hear the wind uh literally gasp out of her because the cancer had broken his back in two by then and there was so much cancer in his brains and his, as well as his lungs, uh, that we, it was that moment that there was an agreement and decision that the hospice was the alternative that we need mm-hmm. to seek out. And, uh, when the paramedics, uh, came to do the trans transport for Dustin to go to the hospice facility and, uh, through my uh, profession, I knew both of them and, uh, Dustin's mother was very worried that Dustin would pass in the ambulance yeah and and I said I'm going to ride in the ambulance I'll ride in the back with him and I said if he passes away in the ambulance we're still going to the hospice place and we're still going to meet you there yeah and and I grabbed the two medics and I said do whatever you can to keep my son alive during this 20 minute uh, Mm -hmm. trip Um, and we were not going to Initiate CPR, and that was a whole nother battle that we had to do with young residents in a hospital that mm-hmm. believed that he was still a full code. And in that sense, you know, uh, the more damage that you would do by doing CPR in someone that state oh, yeah. is, is not gonna it's not going to be life sustaining. It's going to be more detrimental. And we got him to a Rose Arbor, and um, and I still remember the the hospice nurse, with her uh, toolkit on her belt. And she uh, touched me and said, I guarantee your son will never have pain while he's here. And um, I have so much uh, compassion now and uh, gratefulness for what hospice uh, does. Mm-hmm. When I was able to see it at the end, and Dustin, I, I think he lived for about eight hours. Um, by the time we got through the hospice place, and he passed away about nine fifty at night on October eleventh, uh, uh, twenty seventeen. And um, it was uh, an environment of all of us: his mother, uh, his stepfather, uh, my wife, his oldest sister, my son-in-law, and his fiance and best friend were there, and it was best that it could be
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, much better than at the hospital yes Mm -hmm.
2: uh, uh, that's
1: the choice we made you know for my mother um i was on christmas day we decided as a family to put her in hospice as well and it's interesting that you talk about how it's the hardest decision a parent could make because i do remember my grandparents my my um mother's mother coming to me after we had made the decision to put her in hospice and said oh well now that she's going there maybe she'll get better and uh, you know I just remember saying to her grandma you don't go to hospice to get better she's not going to get better and that just as a parent she just couldn't still fully accept that her little girl that her oldest couldn't you know wasn't going to get better So, and I think it's partially because we had had hospice at home once and, um, they tend to, you know, do hospice if you have less than six months to live and she (laughs) outlived hospice. And so she had to be like, she had to leave hospice and she died probably a year after she was first enrolled in hospice. So she had six kind of months and then six kind of better months and then the inpatient facility. But anyway, that just really struck me because I just had that vision of my grandma Um.
2: well that was a word that uh, Dustin never wanted to say we did not want to say Mm -hmm. Um, he was so full of life all the way up to the end and I I put it this way for almost 17 years I prayed faithfully for a miracle a miracle of healing and I believed and dusted it too. That if this healing, you know, if we just could make, you know, enough faith, you know, that was going to happen. And I can remember having over the years many people, you know, you just got to have faith. Mm-hmm. I went from praying for that miracle for God to heal him to praying for God to take him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: At the end, mm-hmm. I begged God to take my son. Yeah. And I, the the two extremes. For me, was I would never pray f- for God to take my son.
1: No, no. I and mean,
2: the amount of pain that I saw at the end, I begged him,
1: mm-hmm.
2: "Will you just take it? Just take my son and end this."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, that decision, I never planned on on September eleventh, nineteen ninety four, to no.
1: make. Nope, uh, no
2: it's just uh it's you know when you you think you've been through the worst you think you've seen the worst and uh i i can't compare uh having to do that decision or make that decision to anything else no cannot and uh when i heard about your guys' story uh in my profession how many times i've been that officer Uh, at the scene and been with those parents um you know uh, when i heard about uh, you know uh the cpr at the scene and i can remember doing rescue breathing on Dustin when he had bled out uh at home due to the grass versus host disease and uh, thank god that i had ivs at home and stuff because i was able to just give him. Squeezing bags of, you know, solution into his lumen lines to try to save him. While I was crying on the phone with a nine one one operator and breathing for him, and uh, since my heart goes out because that just uh, having yeah. to try to save your own son's life. In a sense, that's what we tried to do for seventeen years uh, with Dustin, but we lived to the fullest the time that we had in uh, uh with our son.
1: Oh, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did.
2: There's nothing easy about it, you know, and uh, by sharing any of th- my story here today, it's, you know, it's it's just my story, uh how I handle it, and I don't think there's any set um defined way. No. Nope. Uh, Not for a right any- way or wrong way for anybody and mm-hmm. I read all the books. I sought out all the support groups prior to the death of my child, because I saw I saw it coming. So sure. I, I tried to do everything I prepared for it. And there's no uh, set way to handle it. I can only share my way, my experiences with it, you know. And uh, it's how much support I had prior to uh, the passing compared to after the passing is a big difference for me.
1: Okay,
2: and uh, talk
1: about that. What was that difference like?
2: Elaborating on that comment, um, when you have a healthy child that's diagnosed with cancer, it's it seems like such a rare thing to happen for any parent that there's a large support aspect out there for parents that have children with cancer. Yes, support groups. Um, and back in the early two thousands, there was not social media. Sure. And uh there was care pages, uh there was blogs and we actually started a blog. And uh that was very therapeutic for me to write, but it also was a way of people to find out how Dustin was doing sure. w- with his health. Um and I I kind of became an advocate of that there is kids out there that have terrible diagnoses that are continuing to make it Uh and beat cancer. And I was always there to help these other parents uh, that had uh, children that were fighting cancer. When Dustin passed, you almost uh, have a sense of alienation because you are now the example of what they don't want to happen. Yep. So there's a sense of fear of talking to someone who has lost a child, which I'm sure that you can uh, have some type of of familiarization with where people tend to go, I I don't want to get too comfortable with talking to this person that was in a support group whose child has now passed because they are now reminding me of the reality that's possibly going to happen to Mm -hmm. my child.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: So uh, during the support in the pediatric cancer world was a lot better, but after uh, the passing of Dustin, it was not as prevalent as it was before he no. was
1: alive yeah and I have known that with other moms I've talked to just with other chronic illness that isn't even cancer that you are really in this community you're in community with the hospital with all the doctors and nurses that you start to become friends with really and then all those other parents especially in the cancer world you go back to the hospital and a lot of the same kids are there you know you just get relationships with these families and when your child dies that all goes away I mean those trips to Ann Arbor were off you know hard because it was 120 miles but yet you went to Ann Arbor and you had a built-in support system right there kind of helping home you. for a while. Right. Some of my and now best it's gone. Friends, yeah.
2: Uh, some of my best friends uh, today are nurses of Dustin's while he was at U of M. Mm-hmm. Some of the doctors, uh, y- you know, and I still keep in touch. Um, you know, he had a male nurse, you know, and I, I don't mean that to be uh, comical anyways because that's, he was just absolutely uh one of the best nurses um, that Dustin had and uh, Dan was his name and Dan keeps in touch with me weekly and he had such a special place for Dustin in his heart as you know, and I'll I'll go back to what I was saying about the on couch. I don't know how the nurses on the BMT floor do it because rooms would go empty every day while we were there. Mm -hmm. And we would get to know these families and their kids would pass and, uh, you Know it, it was almost like a dead man walking aspect of some, you know, a death row of inmates. You felt like you were serving time, and every once in a while, someone would break free from serving on the bone marrow transplant floor to get out, and then some would not make it and pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this staff, uh, you know, 12 hours a day, three to four days a week, you know, with these kids, you know, and they would build a you know, and I can remember some of his nurses crying and praying right with us, uh, in the hospital, uh, during his battle. But the whole support, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to a place every day and even our local oncology clinics, you go to a place all the time and all of a sudden that support is done. Yeah. You're no longer going there mm-hmm. as hard as it was to walk through those doors to get the treatment. To see those doctors sometimes that might not give you the news it becomes a norm as abnormal as it is you know and I always kind of chuckle when people tell me what normal is because uh, normality can change in a second <laughs> yeah you know and you understand that and but that became a norm for us and all of a sudden it's done
1: mm-hmm.
2: it, you know because you saw them because your child was still alive and now you don't see him anymore because he's not alive. And that rapport, that support, that relationship's done, you know. And the way looking from the outside in, people are like, "Well, it's time to move on now," mm-hmm. you know. And and you know, was well, any other parent uh, that's lost a child? It just never stops, you know. I always tell people, I wake up thinking about them, and I go to bed thinking about them, sure, you sure know, you and do. several times throughout the day, and. That is the norm now, but it's one that we function in. and You continue to live your life the best that you can with the circumstances you have because, you know, uh, I say the the machine does not stop turning for the rest of us. No. And I think the best that we could do is continue to live full as we can with the loss of our child.
1: Yeah, and that's certainly what our children want for us. You know that, but it is hard to actually do so you have hinted at a few times um, your profession, but you haven't really said it to the audience, so I do oh. want them to know about kind of what it is you do and and um, how that really does have an impact on this story
2: sure i'm a public safety officer uh for the city of kalamazoo and what a public safety officer is he's a police officer a firefighter and an ems first responder uh so at the city of kalamazoo you're a sworn law enforcement officer you go to firefighting academy and you go to ems academy we provide all three of those services and i just started my 28th year in august and i have about another year and i'm going to retire um but uh, I have worked in a profession of law enforcement and fire service for what sometimes seems like yesterday, but it's now a couple decades. And uh, uh, you know, being in a position, in a sense, where you're supposed to be in control in an authoritative position, yep. and you're dealing with uh, the loss of a child, uh, it, it's just something that uh, can be kind of hard, you know. And I and I would be very comparable. Uh, to someone that's a physician that you have to be in control too. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. A-
2: and uh, you got to have solutions and resolutions for uh, people that are seeking out service of help and need from you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's very similar to what I have. And and I took off a, a few months after Dustin passed, rightfully so. But uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood of law enforcement and the fire service, uh, what they did uh, with my family is indescribable. And uh, we are a very tight uh, family. And when one of us suffers or one of our children suffer, uh, my work was above and beyond their forest, uh, helping me out with my chefs, fundraisers. And uh, I, I never, I really, and I've seen it in some of these support groups I talked about in mm-hmm. the pediatric world, I never had to worry about my job being there to take care of my child. Yeah. I took off as much time as I want. I always had a support group, at least in that sense at work, that was a phone call away to help me out with whatever I needed. And, uh, that was a blessing and, and an absolute benefit of being in the profession I have. And I've seen that even other uh, families, uh, you know, in law enforcement, fire service, when someone has a, a real, uh, a bad diagnosis or someone's loss, that uh, it steps up to a plate. The mm-hmm. profession doesn't take care of uh, uh, the family you know, and uh, our needs. And I, I just can't say enough, and I could ramble on about that, but that's one job that everybody's there for you when you need it.
1: Well, and I I would guess that part of the reason for that is that they do see – tragedy and they experience that with families and like you said you've had to be on that end of a tragedy watching a family go through that
2: i uh unfortunately not, i don't have enough memory space anymore you know and um i have a lot of compassion uh for those that are hurt and those that need my service when i'm there um you know And I can relate uh, to your loss in that scene very well, Mm -hmm. because I've been the first responder. I've been the officer. I've investigated. I've been there. I've you know, I've been the person doing CPR on the person's child that's laying there deceased. Their mother, their father, their grandparent, their sister, their brothers. I've been the one that's delivered the bad news to the parent that their child did not make it and uh i i and i don't mean it to be cold but i don't have enough memory space anymore because if i did I, I wouldn't be able to take care of my own wellness you know but those are a f- few cases that just stick with me and and i took off enough time uh after dustin passed before i came back to work and um what you know welcomed me that first week Uh, was pretty difficult for me. And uh, one of the calls I had was uh, where a mother had accidentally killed her baby during the night she had rolled over and slept on the child in bed. And my partner and I were there doing CPR on this uh, two-month-old baby. And I had just came back from leave of Dustin's death, burying my own son. And I'm doing CPR on this little baby, and the mom is screaming at me that I'm not doing enough to save her baby that she just killed. Yeah. And and I can remember my partner and I both were sit doing everything to do CPR and we had tears running down our face while the mom was screaming at us while we were doing CPR on her baby. Yeah. And that mom had no idea.
1: No. No.
2: What I that had You had
1: just experienced him, that really. I
2: had just you know, two months prior, it buried my own child, and you know, uh, you know the human aspect of the profession is sometimes not presented to those that are asking, right? For, and it's the same as you, as uh, your profession. There's a a boundary of professionalism that's established because that professionalism has to be there because otherwise you would not be able to do your, your job. job. Yeah, you, you know, and. It, and I can remember that same week where, uh, just a tragedy of this, uh, man and he had killed, uh, the mother of his children and he killed his children. He shot them all. Wow. And, uh, having to handle, uh, a call or situation like that after coming back from a leave, you know, and, uh, my work was absolutely wonderful and the support that I need, but, when I, when I tell you about, you know, I don't have enough memory space, um, you know, the human aspect of my, my profession uh, was there on those days. And, you know, having uh, a – lose a child for cancer, and I, I, every once in a while I'll run on a cancer patient end stages. And, and it's usually that the family can't handle and they and they don't have to handle, but when they're watching their loved one die from cancer yeah, and they just feel so hopeless and helpless that they call 911.
1: yeah.
2: And um, whether or not they have a DNR order, you know, do not resuscitate order, or they sought out hospice at that point, going through what I have been through uh, obviously allows me to help them a lot more in that situation. And it's not that I'm giving them medical advice. But, you know, uh, I can say I can relate and I can let them know that, you know, your loved one who is now only weighs 50 pounds laying here, dying on your couch, I I don't know if you want me to do CPR on them. Yeah. And um, getting them in the avenue of the services of social work at the hospital, directing them towards palliative or hospice, you know, uh, I think there's a lot more compassion towards those calls from me now going through that. But uh, I've always had a heart for people that are fighting cancer. Yeah, because
1: that's Uh, been going on for you for a long long time. time. long time.
2: uh, my first wife fought cancer too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a world that no one wants to be in, but very few people are going to get through life without knowing someone in that world or having to support someone. Or themselves being in that world.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: You know, and uh, I... I, Everybody thinks they're going to live forever. And everybody thinks that their children's going to live outlive them. Yes. And...
1: And sometimes they don't.
2: uh, Since the beginning of time, uh, man's been guaranteed one thing, and that's death.
0: Death. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And unfortunately, it happens to...
1: And you're not guaranteed you get so many years. No. Not at all. It just is, that's the natural order of things, right? That's what it's supposed to happen. But it's not what always happens. It's not.
2: It's not. And uh, it's, no one should be used to it or have all the answers to it because uh, then that would be odd. Yeah. That would be abnormal for me, at least in this situation. And, and I did seek out uh, some grief support groups afterwards. Um,
1: I know you said you really you read every book and you did all this kind of prep work ahead of time. Did that really prepare you, though?
2: No. The one thing that uh, prepared me was my faith. Um, yeah. Uh, turning it over to God every day, and uh, I still do that. And uh, I did attend uh, a grief share group. Uh, there wasn't a lot of parents in it.
1: No. Uh, I went to one, and yeah. I was the youngest by probably at least 25 years. And everyone else pretty much had lost their spouse. There was one man who was, I would say, in his 60s whose 90-year-old mother died. And I thought, I have nothing in common with you. Exactly. I mean, I really don't. And I lasted... A few weeks, and then I quit going. I mean, not that I didn't appreciate the the, the film part, because I actually really did. Right. The movies I thought were really good, and they did teach me things. But when we got to the part where we had to kind of discuss with each other, I thought, I can't do this. I need my Thursday nights with parents, because that it was a Wednesday afternoon, it was through my church, and it seemed like the right thing to do. And I actually went back and did the holidays, surviving the holidays, which is from Grief Chair. I helped actually lead that a little bit this year um, from that different perspective. And that was kind of okay because it was just a one-day thing. But the multiple weeks, for me, it just was too hard. Yeah. I – and
2: I'm – no harm no foul, but – it seemed to be a lot of 80 and 90 year old people that lost their spouse. Yes, there was uh, oh, one mother whose uh, son had committed suicide, and I actually believe it or not, my rapport with her was a lot stronger than the other ladies. Uh, and it's, and it's seven, I would think so, yeah. And mm. that will go also into the aspect of uh, a lot of uh, support and grief tends to be female and f- strong. Oh, yes, um, and it's odd uh, for a father whether uh it's a masculine trait or aspect towards the but society i think kinds of dictates that well you're the know, man you got to move on and you got to take care of um, the the house and the business and go to work and uh, i think that there's a lot of men out there that are really struggling because the outlet or avenues Tend to be more women and female influenced, mm-hmm. and and again, um, you know, and I tend to be a private person. I tend to uh, uh, keep to myself a lot. You know, whereas uh, you know, the the masculine trait is, is, am I going to reveal too much for myself or expose too much for mm-hmm. myself by talking to other people about my pain and suffering?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, interesting you say that because I have had actually quite a few dads write to me, um, or put notes on the, um, uh, like, you know, comments on the webpage, uh, a lot more than I really thought I would have. And I do think it's because this is a very private way, right? You listening to a podcast, you don't have to talk with other people. You don't have to share your own personal feelings. You can just kind of take that in and, know that other people are feeling the same way. So I think that's why it has resonated a lot with dads. Um, I agree with but, that, yeah. But getting dads on is sometimes not as easy, right? Because then they do have to be vulnerable and let yeah. it out. So Here I, I, I appreciate yeah. you doing that. I really do. You're only my, well, it's kind of my third dad because I made my husband do it. but
2: I, I look at it this way. And I did the blog uh, back in the early 2000s on Dustin's life. And... Uh I can't read that today.
1: Yeah.
2: Because I was um writing my pain, um, my worry and uh I, I just one is it was I so vulnerable, but um it's the same thing with the author that went and tried to write a book and um I I just I couldn't put my stamp of approval on it yet. Yeah. Uh, it's because there's a lot, um, and you know, the, the marriage that, uh, failed with Dustin's mother, uh, there's a lot in there that I didn't want to have to bring to the world. Right. Uh, you know, because, and granted the more people that knew about Dustin and even Dustin's today with his organization, DC strong, uh, the story's out there for people. But when you're in the spotlight, sometimes you appreciate being out of the spotlight mm-hmm. after a period where you're just like, I, I just, and it's not a bad thing to isolate up. Uh, but I find myself a lot, uh, you know, and, and it's like uh, going to the cemetery once a week with a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And people might think that's odd that I go sit there in the cemetery. It's one of the most peaceful places mm-hmm. on earth for me, yeah. And and it's because the dead make no noise, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and it's it's uh, very relaxing for me. Uh, but what I found is that exposing all this information to the world in the world of social media, the podcasts, and everything—it's always there. It never goes away. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that. That can be hard for some people to, again, be vulnerable and expose their pain. And I found that a lot of dads uh, don't want that. And what I'm getting to is if there's one dad, one mom out there yeah, that finds any type of comfort or strength from my son's story or my testimony here today, then it was worth it. It was valued. And, and I go back to prior to Dustin's death, how many people contacted me that said, your son is one of the few percent that's still beating and still yeah. I, I need to talk to you. How are you getting through this? How are you able to do that? and uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and uh your 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 guys is, is literally the one that I put on when I get on the treadmill and so <laughs> and, and and there's times that I've just got to stop the treadmill and get off and excuse myself uh, but the value in that is that I searched. For something on the internet I searched the podcast mm-hmm. and 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 I saw the Fox 17 story and I was like you gotta be kidding I just looked yeah and you're so, like
1: there wasn't anything there there wasn't
2: there <laughs> yeah so uh, you know thanks to you guys for uh, for doing this uh, because there's a lot of people out there people that might not contact you even a male female that uh, are hearing this because everybody that goes through what we do wants to find that person that can go you can get through this too. yes, yes, and
1: there's hope there's as hope much for as the future
2: our world you know in a sense we say our world ended no your world the nor- the new normal changed uh it's the, normal- the world
1: changed a lot but it, yeah.
2: and you can in a sense uh give strength to others through your trials and tribulations mm-hmm. by showing that you can. Continuing on, and I i seek out, I, I love hearing and picking uh, the knowledge of people that have lost their child decades ago. Mm-hmm. And what all this technology, the social media and podcasts, has done for us. I remember hearing a woman that lost her daughter to a terrible uh, homicide. And it was thirty years, thirty-five years past uh, her daughter's murder. And she says, I can't remember her voice. Oh. And I was I, I felt so bad for her. Yeah. You know, I, I can go to YouTube, I can pull up photos, I got video, I it, it you know, the blessing of what technology has done yes. for us. And and I s I I still hear the laugh of my son because he was so full of joy and he had such a comical laugh. I can't ever imagine being so far down the road that I can't remember that. Yeah. So thank God for technology has done for us. I a, have
1: a, one um, voicemail on my phone that I forgot to erase.
2: I still have all the texts and Snapchats. <laughs> I, I just, you know, and... uh,
1: And every single week I edit my show, uh, I hear them singing at the end.
2: Yes. I look at the weeks and it says the date yeah you know and 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 i was telling my wife the other day i said i can't believe we're going on three years yeah uh, it, it just seems like he passed away and and then i see that where that last snapchat that came in from him is 160 you know weeks and i'm like it, it just doesn't seem possible that time flies and the older we get it goes faster and uh You know, I remember listening to a podcast recently. You were talking about someone not not holding someone's hand or something. And uh, the importance of those that you care and love for, let them know that. But uh, having an impact or reaching out to that one person in life and having it last a lifetime, uh, I treasure those memories so much more now.
1: Oh, that's absolutely true. The last thing I really want to talk about is the D.C. Strong. Tell us about that.
2: I'd be happy to. And D.C. Strong uh, is an organization uh, that supports and helps.
1: And those are Dustin's initials. Yes, they are. So that's Uh, why D.C., I think I initially wondered, Washington, D.C.? And then I realized, oh, no, those are his initials.
2: And uh, The organization uh, was founded by Dustin's friends when Dustin was in high school to help and support Dustin and they did a few like t-shirt fundraisers today the organization has helped children in pretty much every state in this country and they're getting contacts from even abroad and what it does is one uh, provides uh, that support for those battling pediatric cancer and also does in a sense local wishes. It helps make their life a little bit more better during the process of fighting cancer. Mm-hmm. And care package as well as gifts. Uh, they've done everything by sending people on trips, uh, to having people meet uh, very big celebrities and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dustin, uh, and if you go to the internet, it's DC Strong com one word it's in the social media the youtube you can find it there but uh it was dustin's goal all the way up to his death that this become a, a full-time uh a charity mm-hmm. and, and that it had a full-time staff and business that actually is self-sufficient and uh, continues to evolve and grow and it does now yeah. It does now and there's been some very large celebrities involved with the organization and uh Dustin's memory continues to be remembered and uh evolve uh throughout the DC strong community and uh the present organization was one of Dustin's best friends.
0: Mhm. Uh
2: the one that was uh there when Dustin passed away. And, and
1: he does that now yep, full time?
2: That is that mm-hmm. is his position. Mm-hmm. And Dustin's mother's still involved on the board, as well as a few of his other friends. And uh, there's uh, an, another father uh, that Dustin actually made uh, one of the gift kids at EC Strong that's involved with it, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I always tried to uh, not have to put my foot into it because I wanted it to be Dustin's baby. Yeah. And his friends. Baby. You did this, it's all you. And it has gone on to help on and bless so many kids. And they do these wishes, these trips for them, these events, these fundraisers. They do gala balls. They go to hospitals, deliver care packages. And uh, pretty much every hospital in this area they go to and deliver and call on these pediatric cancer uh, patients. And they have traveled throughout the country, uh, Weeks before Dustin passed away, they did a tour across the east side of the country and visiting uh, many kids uh, that were fighting cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dustin, you know, sorry, he was on oxygen. He was really ill. But it was his goal that he make this trip for the D.C. Strong organization to uh, do this uh, tour across the country Mm -hmm. these last few weeks. And he was able to, and that was great. But uh, it's just... uh, organization that has become a lot bigger than what it was intended to be uh, from a few friends helping Dustin out and supporting him in school.
1: Well, I think about, you know, when you've got that initial diagnosis uh, that he had six months or less to live and how much he was able to do as that dash continued far more than six months and... It's it's just a wonderful thing because if it had only been those six months, D.C. Strong wouldn't exist. All of this that no. he was able to accomplish, um, all the lives that he has been able to affect in the past and certainly will be able to affect in the future. What an awesome thing that he was able to do that in some, and have so much more time.
2: I, I just uh, I can't thank enough of uh, the support that he had for that organization and his friends that surrounded him um they were there for him the whole entire time and that organization has you know they're doing an the honor uh in dustin's memory by continuing to make that organization the charitable organization that it is and bless a lot of other kids
1: all right well thank you so much for coming on today It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me. I had a real good time.
0: Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.